Well, good morning. I am so glad you're here. This is another one of those memorable mornings. We've had a lot this year, haven't we? Um, I was just thinking back. As, uh, I love days like this where it's so weird and it's out of the norm and we all kind of have to figure out what, what we're doing here as a church and, and the discomfort and the abnormalcy of everything just brings us together. It's, it's because of those memories we talk about in, in years to come. Um, I was thinking about this year, I jotted them down in my notes before I came up here, um, uh, how odd this year has been in terms of some of the things that have happened to us. Remember the first Sunday that we became an autonomous local church this January, remember what happened that evening? All the lights went out, uh, we, we did a, an evening gathering in the candlelight, you know, had that ambiance, and then... Just, just last month, or was it two months? I can't even remember anymore. We're meeting outside in 114-degree heat, and, and we, we made it out. We gathered anyway because we value the gathering of the people of God to hear the Word of God for the glory of God. And here we are, and as you're pulling in, it seems like it might have stopped now, but the rain was coming down pretty good, and it's freezing cold, and we're huddled under here in a tent outside. Um, what a year. What a year this has been, right? And, and I couldn't be more thankful to you as our congregation for the way that we've come together uh, in these times uh, to be unified for the purposes that God has for us. So I'm thankful for you. I also wanted to uh, say thank you. Um, a couple weeks ago, you um, came together to bless Ashley and I with a pastor appreciation gift. I just want to publicly say Thank you. Uh, thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your support. Uh, my wife and I feel so loved by this church, so blessed by you all. Uh, we are encouraged and uh, humbled that you would uh, bless us in the way that you did. Well, a uh, crazy year, and the last week has been a crazy week, has it not? Uh, we were uh, going through the, the Gospel of Mark. That's what we've been studying and I decided Tuesday of this week, as I kind of started to really focus on what the text would be this Sunday and what we'd be discussing, um, decided to jump out of the Gospel of Mark. We were going to be heading into Mark chapter 6. Instead, I want to bring your attention to Hebrews. So you could open up in your Bibles to Hebrews, a text there that I think is very relevant uh, to what's going on in our lives right now. And hopefully what will happen as a result of studying this together is that we'll get perspective a perspective is critical in days like these. It is easy uh, to feel unsettled, right? It is easy to get stressed out these days. It is easy to maybe even feel angry, perhaps panicked, uh, to, to feel uh, uncertain about the future. I mean, there's uh, all kinds of contention uh, in our nation right now, tension going on. This in I haven't lived that long, but this is the most dramatic election I've ever experienced, and it is something that I think it's a good cause for us to pause and think biblically about what's happening, what's going on here. Um, I think to weather storms, to be able to have firm footing when it feels uncertain, when, when the ground underneath us seems like it's shaking a little bit. I think there's a biblical way to be able to have a sturdy stance 
in the midst of things that seem to be crumbling and shaking. It's possible to not get stressed out. It's possible to head into times like these without panic. It's possible, and the Bible shows us how, and what I think we need to understand is that perspective will have everything to do with how you're feeling right now. How you think about who you are, uh, where your life is headed, and even your eternal destiny that God has revealed to you in his word, how you think about those things is going to play directly into how you're able to handle difficulty, struggle, uncertainty, fear in your life. Uh, Your eternal destiny, what you believe about your eternal destiny is directly related to your ability to handle difficult weather, difficult times, to weather the storms, to handle the tremors that shake underneath us and cause us to panic at times. I want to show you this. If you're in Hebrews, turn to chapter 10. I'm going to show you a few verses. That the Christian life is kind of like a tightrope. I remember reading about a tightrope walking expert, I don't know what you even call that guy, uh, who does that, but he was describing the, the, the technique to walk across a tightrope was, tight, tight was not to stare at your feet, certainly not to be looking backwards, but it was to look at the end of the tightrope, to fix your eyes on a singular point, and to gaze on that with such focus that you're all your attention, all your body is moving in the same direction. It enables you to remain steadfast, stable, even amidst something that if you tilt either way, you'll become uh, lost. Uh, This guy said the way to make it on a tightrope across is to focus at the end, to put your focus on your destination. I think that's an apt illustration for the life of a Christian. That if you want to live a faithful Christian life that can handle any type of storm, the thing you have to do is to learn to fix your gaze at the end, to focus on the destiny, the focus on the destination that God has given to all his children. Uh, Hebrews 10, you there? Hebrews 10, verse 34. I'm just going to show you a few of these. For you had compassion on those in prison. And you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Here's some Christians who were demonstrating compassion. The people who had been imprisoned as they're doing that. Their property is being plundered. But it describes here that they are handling the plundering of their property with joy. How do you do that? The loss of possessions, the loss of property... How do you handle that? Look at the rest of the verse. Since you knew, you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. You can handle the loss of possessions, the loss of property, and you can handle it with joy. How? Because you know that you have a greater possession, an eternal one, a lasting one that can never be taken away. Turn to the next chapter, Hebrews 11, chapter 13. Or sorry, (laughs) chapter 11, verse 13. Talking about these men and women who walked by faith. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, having acknowledged that they were strangers 
and exiles on the earth. This world's not my home, they said. I'm a stranger here. I'm an exile. I'm just sojourning through. Verse 14, for people who speak thus make it clear that they're seeking a homeland. Christian, are you seeking a homeland? This isn't your home. Seek a homeland. That's what the men and women of old walking by faith did. Verse 15, if they had been thinking about the land from which they had gone out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. They're looking forward to a country that is not yet here, uh, God's country, the, the country, the kingdom that God brings onto the earth that is theirs to enjoy forever. Look at Hebrews 11, verses 24 to 26. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called son of the Pharaoh's daughter. That would have been a, a life of wealth, of comfort, of luxury to grow up in Pharaoh's household. You would have been rich. He, he refused that. Why? Why did he do that? Choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than all the treasures of Egypt. How could he do that? How can he look at the choice? Luxury in Pharaoh's household. Growing up with everything I could ever want given to me or suffer with the people of God. He chooses that. How does he do that? Look at the end of verse 26. He was looking to the reward. He was looking to the reward. How do you weather difficult times? How do you make it through life without stressing out all the time, without panic? It's you look to the reward. You look to that heavenly city. You recognize you're a stranger here. You're an exile here. You're just a pilgrim that's passing through. You fix your eyes at the end of the destination that God has for you, and you walk by faith. So here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to jump out of 2020. That's refreshing, isn't it? I think we've all been trying to do that this year. It's jump out of 2020. We're going to do that for a moment. We're actually going to look at the future. And what I hope we're able to do this morning is we think about the future. We're able to get some perspective. We're able to fix our eyes on a point so that we can walk by faith with joy, with confidence, with assurance, <laughs> with gratefulness, with, with worshipful hearts, Without fear, don't we all want those things? Well, that's what we're going to do. And I want to ask you now to take a look at Hebrews 12, verses 25 to 29. Hebrews 12, verses 25 to 29. Verse 25, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. Talking about God speaking. God speaks to us through his word in the Old Testament he spoke to the people of Israel at Sinai, at Mount Sinai. He spoke, the whole mountain shook as God revealed His law to the people of Israel. He tells them, don't refuse God's Word. It is a perilous thing to hear the Word of God and to refuse to listen and obey it. The Word of God is coming from the Word. Uh, God's Word is coming through the Scriptures to us today and the author of Hebrews makes it very clear that you do not want to ignore this. And he makes the case, follow along with me. Now he says, for if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, talking about Israel, uh, they, they ignored him. Though God spoke, they ignored the law and they fell into their own sin and they did not escape the wrath of God. He says, so if they didn't escape, how much or much less will we escape 
if we reject him who warns from heaven. In other words, Jesus lived, died, rose again, ascended to the right hand of the Father. He inspired this holy scripture so that when we read it, we're hearing the words of Christ. Jesus himself speaks today to us. He warns from heaven all those who hear his word. Do not reject his word, Jesus is saying this morning. We will not escape the wrath of God if we ignore God's word. Now look at verse 26. At that time, his voice shook the earth. He's talking back at Sinai. His voice from, if you remember the scene in Exodus 19, the whole mountain shakes. Everyone's afraid. They're all terrified. The mountain is aflame. Everyone's shaken by that because the whole world kind of, or the whole mountain there kind of quakes. He says, at that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. You say, what is he talking about? Right here, the author of Hebrews is quoting from an Old Testament passage in Haggai, a prophet. And Haggai, the prophet, prophesied that there's coming a shaking of not only the earth, a shaking of uh, of not only a, a mountain, Mount Sinai, but a shaking of the heavens and the earth. Did you see that right there in the text? That's what it says. Yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. Here's our first point. We're going to have two points, and both of these are going to be things that we need to fix our eyes on to have perspective in this life. The first point is this. God is going to shake the whole world. God is going to shake the whole, maybe we could say, universe. This has been a prophesied reality for a long, long time. In fact, if you were to read through the Old Testament, and it's particularly the Old Testament prophets, you would see that from time to time, these prophets speak about a day coming when not only the earth is shaken, but the whole world is shaken. It's kind of an apocalyptic reality. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 19, it says this, And people shall enter the caves of the rocks and the holes of the ground from before the terror of the Lord... And from the splendor of his majesty when he rises to terrify the earth. Say, wow, I didn't know that was in the Bible. Speaking of a day that the Lord, the living God, comes to judge the world. Isaiah chapter 13, verse 13 says this, Therefore, this is God speaking, I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will be shaken out of its place at the wrath of the Lord of hosts in the day of his fierce anger. Did you know that was in the Bible? That God is describing a day that heavens and earth shake and tremble. That the wrath of God comes to be poured out upon the earth. God is going to shake the entire world. Joel chapter 3 verse 16. The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. And the heavens and the earth quake. But the Lord is a refuge to his people a stronghold to the people of Israel. You guys have been in Southern California. You've probably heard earth, or, or you've, you've felt earthquakes before, right? We felt these types of things, they, the little tremors. They, they maybe wake us up. We see the, the lamp you know, going back and forth. We go, oh, there's been an earthquake. I don't think any of us have any idea what it would be like for the entire globe to be shaking or the entire galaxy or the entire cosmos or the entire universe that God has created, the heavens and the earth, 
to be shaken, but that is what the Word of God describes is going to happen, that there's a coming day that all the created universe experiences a trembling, a shaking that is so severe, that is so powerful, that everything created begins to crumble and fall. Look at verse 27 if you're still in Hebrews. The phrase yet once more indicates, listen to this, the removal of all things that are shaken. All things removed at the shaking when the Lord raises His voice to judge. When the Lord speaks from Zion, when He roars in judgment at the world, all the universe, the heavens and the earth are going to be shaken and nothing will stand before His judgment civilizations will crumble, governments will crash down, financial empires will collapse, every political party will fall away, business will cease to exist. Church, I want to ask you, have you forgotten this? That this is coming? That the end of all things is at hand, as First Peter reminds us? That this world is passing away like a parade off the edge of the Grand Canyon? Yes, there's a lot of pomp. Yes, there's seemingly great and glorious things in this parade, but in the end, none of it lasts. All of it perishes. Are you living like that's true? See, this year, this is a year of the COVID-19 coronavirus. This is the year of government overreach, racial tension, economic disaster, riots, looting, a year of perhaps one of the most tenuous presidential elections in our nation's history. It seems like the ground is shaking underneath us. It seems like everything that we're familiar with, things like health, like peace, like harmony, like wealth, like safety, like normalcy are all being taken from us. Why? I think it's to remind us that none of this lasts. This world is passing away. That everything we put our hopes in in this world will crumble. None of it will last. And we are to be reminded, church, I hope you are thinking about this these days, that the only thing that will remain, the only thing that will be brought through this great shaking, it says there in verse 27, that the shaking happens in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Well, what is that? Verse 28, therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Are you grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken? What will pass through this shaking of the world? Let me tell you, nothing except the kingdom of God. Nothing no, no institution you're banking on, no government plan you're hoping in, no political party you've invested in, none of that will last. That is not to say that none of those things matter. But we need to have perspective to understand that this world is not our home, and at the end of the day, the, the, the judge of the whole world will, world will rise and cast judgment on the world, and the whole world will perish, but there will be one thing that stands and that is the kingdom of God that cannot be shaken. It's like trying to build sandcastles when we're trying to build our hopes in this world. Sandcastles on the beach. Sandcastles before a tidal wave. 
me and my kids often, when we go down to the beach, we're going to, we go down right to the waves, and it's one of our hobbies to, to see how much we can build before the next wave comes, right? And we're trying to build walls, and we're trying to build moats, and we're trying to do everything we possibly can to make our castle survive the waves. And guess what happens? The wave always wins. The wave always wins. And that is like people in this world trying again and again, if we maybe make a moat, if we maybe build a wall, and maybe that'll make me secure. If I have more money, if, if my favorite politician wins, if these policies are correct and they're instituted, if all these things are, are, are able to be instated, if I have these comforts, then I'm going to feel secure. And at the end of the day, yes, those things can matter, and yes, we can work for those things, but they will not stand. They will not stand. At the end of the day, there will be one thing standing, and that will be the kingdom of our God. That will last for all eternity. Here's our second point. First point is, God's going to shake the whole world. Our second point is, is we have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. I find myself thankful this week that our King Jesus doesn't have to be elected to his office. He is the king of all kings. He is the Lord of all lords. The government is on his shoulders, the scriptures say. Uh, Jesus doesn't have to be elected. He is the king of the entire universe. He rules over every authority. Every authority is under his authority, and he will do. If you remember the last couple weeks we've been studying Mark, he is the king of nature, and he can do what he wants with nature, with storms. He can calm seas, and he's also the king of, over demons, as we studied in Mark 5 the last couple of weeks, that all authority in heaven and on earth is Jesus's, and he can tell even the greatest forces of evil what they are to do, and they will do it. Jesus is king. He establishes a kingdom, and nothing will stop him from bringing his kingdom here on earth and allowing his children to share in his glory forever and ever. Jesus doesn't have to be chosen. He already is the authority. But listen, church, you are his. This is one thing I think we need to remember. We don't choose Jesus in, we, in the fact that we elect him, but Jesus has chosen us to be his children. Think about this, Romans 8.30. Romans chapter 8, verse 30. Those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. You know what that's saying? That King Jesus in eternity past chose a people for his, himself, for his glory. He predestined them for glory. And then he called him th those people to receive the gospel. And then he justified them and declared them righteous before the Father. And he promised to glorify them one day. Right now we don't have glorified bodies yet. We live still in our fallen bodies. But this is so secure. This is so secure that even the, the Apostle Paul, as he writes it, he speaks of it in the past tense as if, as if it already happened. We are so secure, it's as if Paul is looking at us saying, glory is ours, church. The kingdom is ours. The glory that he will give to us in the new heavens and the new earth is already ours. In fact, you're there in Hebrews. Look back at chapter 12. You're still in chapter 12. Look at verse, verses 21, or sorry, 22 up to 24. He describes a kind of celebration that happens the moment we come to Christ. Look at this. You haven't come, he says in verse 18, to Sinai, this gloomy mountain of darkness. But what have we come to, Christians? Look at this. Verse 22, you have come to Mount Zion, 
to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkling blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The blood of Abel cries out for justice and retribution. The blood of Christ cries out for mercy and forgiveness of sins. That's the new covenant. But do you get the imagery there? Use your imagination. Uh, It's describing that we have come into this celebration. Innumerable angels in festal, celebrating, gathering. I mean, this description of this massive throng of happy people because we've been redeemed and we've been bought by the blood of Christ. In other words, church, you know what the Bible speaks of? How the Bible speaks of you? It speaks of you as already obtaining victory. Already, like it's a past thing. That it's already done. The victory's already been accomplished. Colossians, (laughs) glad no one was sitting over there. (laughs) Surprise, you win the award. In Christ, we're victorious. Colossians 2.15, Christ disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame, watch this, by triumphing over them. 2 Corinthians 2.14, Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. I mean, the image that I have in my mind is that Christ is there at the front of the parade And all the redeemed are marching there with them in victory. And the innumerable angels are there watching like a sea of faces as far as the eye can see, all glad at the glorious work the Redeemer has done to buy for Himself His people, to accomplish His plan of redemption. Church, we are secure. 1 John 5, verse 4, Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. We walk in victory today, church. That's why we're here this morning. Because we are declaring Jesus conquered death. That Jesus is victorious over all the powers of darkness, over all the world. And so we gather this week, and we'll gather next week, and we'll gather every week. Why? Because the victory is secure, and we come to praise our victorious Savior. We come to give Him the glory He deserves, We come to be equipped for the mission He's given us, and nothing that's happening on this world can possibly stop or put an end to what Jesus has accomplished in His death, burial, and resurrection. We've received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. The victory is complete. It's ours. Now here's what we're supposed to do. Take a look at verse 28 again. There's two applications that are written right there into the verse for us. What are we to do? If we've received a kingdom that cannot be shaken, it cannot be overthrown, no coup can overtake this kingdom, Jesus wouldn't allow it, we're already victorious, what do we do? How do we live? You see that there? Let us be grateful. Be grateful. Something infinitely better than winning the lottery has happened to you, Christian. Something infinitely glorious with eternal consequences, has happened to you, Christian? Let me ask you, are you grateful this week? 
Have you been grateful this year? Everything else will, will crumble and perish, but not you, not your kingdom. Are you grateful that you have received something that is so precious, imperishable, undefiled, that is yours for all eternity and nothing can snatch it out of your grasp? Cheer up, church. Everything is okay. All is well. The king is on his throne. And we can withstand the tremors of life. Why? Because we have a better possession, an abiding one. The kingdom of God will last forever. We need to have lives that are exuding gratefulness. Think about this. I know that if we were to break up into small groups, and if we were to gather and talk about the difficult things that have happened in our past, and how God used those things in our lives, we would not run out of stories to tell. That if we were to look back and say, this was really hard, this was really scary, this was really tragic, and we talked about all the difficult things that we've been brought through in our lives, and then we were to also say, but here's what God has done. We would not cease to have story after story of the faithfulness of God in the midst of immense difficulty. Today, this week, and this year is no different. Do you really believe that God is on the throne and that He's good? Because if we believe that, we will be able to say, yes, this is hard. Yes, this is uncomfortable. But the kingdom that is mine and the God that rules it is going to make all things work out for His glory and for my good. And therefore, I am secure. We are secure. All God is always taking difficulty, taking pain, even taking evil, and turning it, transforming it into the blessing for his people. Let's be grateful. Let's be joyful. Let's be confident. Let's not be complaining. What could we possibly complain about if this is all true? Peter Kreeft, author, uh, wrote this, speaking on the same kind of a theme. He says, now, now suppose death and hell are utterly defeated. And they are. Suppose God took you on a crystal ball trip into your future and you saw with indubitable certainty that despite everything, your sin, your smallness, your stupidity, you could have free for the asking your whole crazy heart's deepest desire, heaven, eternal joy. Would you not return fearless and singing what can earth do to you if you're guaranteed heaven? To fear the worst earthly loss would be like a millionaire fearing the loss of a penny, less a scratch on a penny. Isn't it true for us Christians who are infinitely rich because we've received the forgiveness that Christ offers in the kingdom that He has promised us? For us to complain about the things that are happening in this temporary world that will pass away is like a millionaire complaining that one of his pennies has a scratch on it. It's silly. All will be well. And we need to really believe this. Let us be grateful. We don't need a crystal ball trip into the future like the author suggests. We just need to actually believe what the Bible says. And it tells us we have a kingdom. It's secure. It'll last forever. It's ours. Everything else will perish. Everything else will not last. It'll fall away. But not we who are the children of God. 
and not the kingdom that we will inherit. Second, here's our second application. Worship God with reverence and awe. Do you see that? Let us be grateful for receiving the kingdom that cannot be shaken, and let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. You know that worship isn't just singing. Worship's not just using your voice to sing along with a hymn or a song. It's your whole life devoted to He who purchased you with His blood. We do not worship Him with flippant arrogance or casual carelessness. It says that He's a consuming fire. And so the fact of His consuming fireness, we ought to worship Him in a certain way. Right? He's, he's by nature holy and pure like fire is. What does he mean by that? How, uh, I think it's helpful to think about this for a moment. What does it mean that God is a consuming fire and how should that shape our worship? He says we ought to worship him with reverence and, reverence and awe. Why? Because he's a, he's a consuming fire. How does the fact that he's a consuming fire shape our worship? Here it is. God is so holy, so perfect, and so righteous that he will judge all the world like a fire. He will consume all unrighteousness. No unrighteousness, no wickedness will last the fires of the judgment of God. Every evil deed will be accounted for. No one will trick God. God sees all. He's coming to judge the world and he will be like a fire. Nothing will escape his wrath. I want you to think about the fires that we saw a few months back in around us. Some of you maybe saw them on the news or you saw them maybe up close. Maybe you were there nearby. Maybe you saw some of the scorched ground as you drove on the freeway past some of the places where it burned up. Could you imagine, use your imagination with me, could you imagine being maybe in a small house or a hut of some sort where you're watching the fires move and the fires are moving toward you, a wall of fire. You can't escape. It's devouring everything. It's devouring the trees. It's devouring houses and homes and stores as it moves toward you. And there you are in your little house, and you have nowhere to run. You can't out-sprint it. You just hunker down, and this thing crosses over you. Power, it goes right over you. And imagine, rather than consuming you, you're not singed. You're not affected in any way. In fact, what you're standing in remains secure. Everything else around you burns down, but you are not consumed. How would you feel? I think you'd be trembling, wouldn't you? Trembling with thankfulness. You would be humbled with gratitude that, that you should have burned up, but for whatever reason, you were able to survive. You would say something like, I should have died there. I deserve to burn up there and be destroyed there. But I was saved in a much more significant way. This is the story of what's happening with the world. It is a reality that often is not spoken of, but the reality is that God is a God who is just and he will consume like a fire all injustice in the world. He will judge the world in his righteousness and God the consuming fire will uh, pour out his wrath upon the world. There is one place where we are safe from this consuming fire. There is only one place that we are safe from this consuming judgment. And it is 
Jesus Christ. He says that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. He says that he's the door to salvation. You can't enter into salvation unless you come through him. The Lord is our refuge. He is our only hope. He is our only security. The judgment of the whole world is coming. The shaking of the entire universe is coming. The fire that will be poured out upon the whole world is coming. The only hope we have is that Jesus is a Savior to us. That we believe that when He died on the cross, He took upon Himself the fires of God's wrath so that those who trust in Him will not have to be consumed in judgment. And so we flee to the refuge of the cross and we say the cross is where my sins were paid for, where the wrath of God was poured out, where my sins and my guilt and my shame were put on Him and the righteous justice of God condemned Him who knew no sin so that we in Him might now become the righteousness of God. We are secure in Christ and in Christ alone. So how do we worship before God who is the consuming fire? With reverence. With trembling awe. We are amazed because we say there is nothing in us that could save ourselves. It is Christ alone. I deserved the hell that God is going to bear upon the earth. I deserve the judgment and the wrath that God will pour out. But Christ stood in my place and bore it for me. This is the greatest news in the universe. That's why there's hymns written about this reality. One hymn goes like this, bearing shame. It's like shame is being heaped on Christ on the cross. And scoffing rude. People are mocking him as he dangles there. A bloody person dangling on the cross, heaving, bearing shame and scoffing rude. In my place, condemned he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Everyone will be consumed in judgment except those who take refuge in Jesus Christ. And if you have not taken refuge in Jesus Christ, turning from every other hope, turning from every other system, turning from every other, even your own personal righteousness, good things you've done, you turn away from every other possible hope and you cast yourself at the mercy of Jesus Christ. You look at the cross, you look at the resurrection, you say, Jesus, you're all I have. You're saved forever. You receive the kingdom that cannot be shaken. It's yours. Jesus on the cross suffers the fire of God's wrath for everyone who trusts in him. And our response is now worship with reverence and awe. Church, God's going to shake the whole world. This is one of the points that we fix our eyes on as we walk this, through this world. God is going to shake the whole world. God is a consuming fire. He will judge all. But there is grace. There is free and a free offer of salvation to anyone who would repent and believe and the moment you take the free offer of the grace of God by looking to Jesus by faith you are secure the kingdom that Jesus is bringing will be yours and you will inherit the kingdom that cannot be shaken and then what will you do you'll live with gratitude you'll offer yourself to God with humility and reverence and awe and you'll say lord you're you're my you're my king you're my savior i'm going to live for you 
So what are we going to do this week? What are we going to do this year? What are we going to do with our lives? We're going to look to Christ. We're going to fix our eyes on the coming kingdom. We're going to understand that we have a better possession than anything this world has to offer. We have a lasting one, a perfect one. We are going to be people who live in this world like exiles, like sojourners, like pilgrims. And we're going to say, this isn't my home. I care about the people here. I care about what happens. But at the end of the day, my hope is in the kingdom and the king who will bring it here for us. Let's put our hope there, church. We're going to close by singing, On Christ the Solid Rock I Stand. Will you be able to sing that with gusto? On Christ the Solid Rock I Stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Church, is that true? It is true. Let's act like it's true today. Uh, Let's stand together. I will pray, and then Michael will lead us in song. So, Lord, we are grateful that we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We're grateful that you will not allow wickedness and evil to prevail in the world. We're grateful that we have a, a hope, a fixed and unshakable hope that is ours. And Lord, when we get caught up in all the different things going on in this world and we're tempted to stress out and to panic and to fear and to grow anxious and to worry, Lord, help us in those moments to fix our eyes on you, to lift our eyes to heaven, to remember that this whole world is passing away and that we have a solid rock to stand on, the solid rock of Christ. Lord, we need you to do this in our lives and to fix our gazes on you. And so, Lord, we ask that you would act to give us perspective during these days that are so distracting and so tempting for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.